Welcome to MGO Podcast 14.50. Playoffs. We're talking about playoffs. And a little basketball, too. Time. Michigan in the playoff for the second consecutive year. They draw the Texas Christian University Horned Frogs. All hail the Hypnotoad. Uh, I, I listened to the uh, Purple Theory podcast, uh, and what they led off with was that Michigan ain't played nobody. And that bothered me. <laughs> because they didn't That's lead off hilarious. Because it was like, you know, other than Ohio State, they ain't play- and I'm like, what? Other- what? <laughs> Maybe Ohio State doesn't count. Maybe other they're than, nobody. Other than beating the breaks off the number four seed in the playoff at their place, they ain't played nobody. And uh, this is the this is the stats of war guy. So he's the guy who has the very useful things he puts on Twitter about like EPA per play and stuff. And so like this is this is a stats person. And I was I was doubly bothered by this because a stats person should go look at SP plus. And what they will find on SP Plus is that Michigan has wins over number three, Ohio State, number eight, Penn State, number 17, Illinois, number 27, Iowa, number 32, Maryland, and number 47, Purdue. Roughly equivalent to TCU playing number seven, Texas, number nine, Kansas State, twice, but they're one and one in those games, number 20, OU, number 30, Baylor, number 31, Okie State, and number 41, Texas Tech. And I'm not going to get into an argument about whether Hawaii is worse than Colorado. <laughs> it's not an argument I'm is about it, to have. Is this pre or post Dion, though? Or, or like, you know, like whether Rutgers being number 95 versus some Big 12 team ranked 67th is a meaningful difference when you're talking about playoff teams. So I, I, I reject the charges of ain't played nobody. And then I went and I watched uh, five TCU games. I watched them play Texas. I watched both the Kansas state games. I watched the Texas tech game and I watched, uh, well, I watched part of the Iowa state game. That was not really worth watching. And man, that's a different world. Mm-hmm. Cause I saw a third and two with five guys in the box. And I was like, are we playing Ohio state here? What's going on? <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a conference of three man lines and three deep safeties. It looks a lot like Jim Knowles's o- Oklahoma State defense from a couple years ago, and it's it's going to be a really interesting matchup because you know when they get heavy, ECU pinches in those ends and they got three guys over your interior gaps. But can they do that and and keep up on the outside? I don't know. But we're going to start off talking about the. T- uh, TCU offense, which is Max Duggan as a sort of uh, Sean Clifford on his on the best day of his life every day out. <laughs> um, like if if Sean Clifford was possessed by the Lord Himself, if Sean to Clifford win a football was game, by Penn State fans, <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you've always been the the Clifford defender uh, to some degree, and I like Duggan a lot. I <laughs> The, the thing about Max Duggan, and this is how I would sort of talk about it, is he thrives in the situations where I feel like we bag on C.J. Stroud. And if you're talking about playoff quarterbacks, I think Stroud is probably a better quarterback than Duggan. 
But if it's three minutes to go in the game and you need a quarterback to go down and grab it by the horns and win you the football game, Max Duggan's your dude because he is going to try and make plays. It's his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. He likes to be the hero, and most of the time he is, but sometimes it, it goes it goes haywire. Yeah, so 90 rushing attempts for Duggan this year once you take out sacks, and those go for uh, about 500 yards. So not a guy who's racking up eight yards a carry, but a guy you absolutely have to account for, particularly on key downs. Uh, once they get in the red zone, they love quarterback run. Once they get in third and short, they love quarterback run. And you know he's he had that drive in the Big Twelve Championship game to tw- to to tie it, where he's just Atlas with the entire team on his back, just scrambling out of the pocket and finding nobody downfield. <clears throat> and there's sort of a, a dichotomy there, right? Because Max Duggan only taking 23 sacks on the year. I would assert that like at least half of those are Max Duggan's fault. <laughs> well, I, I, even Michigan's uh, defensive coordinator was talking about like using a mosh uh, mosh rush against him, and that's kind of what you have to do because like you don't <clears throat> you don't really want to get that guy out of the pocket and and looking downfield because see, that's, I mean, that's I thing. I don't know about that because I was you know that Texas Tech game, the Texas game, both games in which their offense is not doing real well. And the main reason for that is that their tackles are getting overwhelmed. So I don't know what you saw, Alex, but I thought both of their tackles really lacked athleticism. And it kind of felt like, what would happen if we put Minnesota's offensive line on a Big 12 team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I think the tackles are a little suspect. Um, they're pure passing down. I don't remember exactly how PFF qualifies that, but it's like pure passing down or pure passing set uh their grades in those situations are pretty rough and that k-state big 12 championship game duggan's under siege all the time and then the texas game he took five sacks in that game and uh, a number of them more were the pockets collapsing and i think the left tackle in particular coleman I have some concerns about him holding up against top end pass rushers now michigan doesn't have a ton of those but uh, given that some Big 12 defenses are getting pressure on this guy pretty consistently around the tackles, I feel decent about Michigan's ability to do that in this game. I mean, this, as you mentioned, in terms of athleticism, an important thing to know with TCU is they don't have a lot of talent. This is a, a very talent bare roster, especially in comparison to the kind of team that normally makes the playoff. And that stands out uh, on the offensive line in particular uh, among all the other places. So, uh, there are going to be some opportunities uh, to get home. I mean, Duggan doesn't take a ton of sacks overall, and yet he's, you know, <laughs> there's still been a, a handful of them, and, and he also evades a ton more because he stands in there and takes shots, right? If you watched that Kansas State Big 12 championship game, how many balls did he throw off the back foot a second before taking just a bone-crushing hit? I mean, he was just getting knocked around. To that point about talent, so TCU, uh, NFL Draft Buzz compiles draft rankings, and they have their own. Quentin Johnson, one of their wide receivers, is top 10 pick. And then you have their center uh, ranked in about the third round, and then they have a couple of late-round candidates. They have Kendra Miller, their starting running back, and Duggan himself ranked in the round 200th. Then they have a couple of guys kind of way down the list at wide receiver. So this is not going up against 
Georgia last year. And it's not going up against Ohio State this year. This is this is a team that gets by on grit. They've been, you know, in a lot of close games. They have not dominated their opposition like you would expect a playoff team to to. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, denigrate their season. They've obviously played a lot of good teams. They've got some good players. And I think that a lot of their players are better college players than NFL players. But just in terms of like roster advantage, Michigan certainly has it. So you were saying that Duggan is ranked what it, on the draft boards, like in the 200s? Yeah, 223. Is it interesting to you that he's already declared for the draft then? Like, um, or, or is it just, hey, this was my perfect season. I better roll my dice. Yeah, I mean, some people just want to go, right? And I, like his limitations are still going to be his limitations. Okay. So, you know, he's <clears throat> his accuracy is probably not going to get up to the spot where you want it to be. Um, I mean, I guess I should qualify that. He's got a beautiful deep ball. So that's one thing that I, I was pretty concerned about. They have a couple of big outside receivers, and they take shots. They will take five or six shots in this game down the sideline, and uh, he has that ball down. He has that 40-yard fly route um, very well placed. And it's when you get into like the intermediate ranges, like balls can sail or he'll turf it, and he just doesn't have the like uncanny accuracy that you have to have to be an NFL quarterback. Now he brings pretty much everything else in spades. Like if you want to talk about moxie toughness, he's a better runner than JJ is. He's, he's more likely to break a tackle and grind out some yards after contact. He's, he's sort of Tebow esque in that he's not, he's not Tim Tebow, but he's much closer to that than, than McCarthy is. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be doing the baseball slide. Uh, no sliding for him. He is going to lower the shoulder and power power off tacklers. Um, he's a and and one thing to note with him too with the accuracy thing is he gets a bit of help from his receivers because Quentin Johnston uh, he deserves discussion just on his own. Six foot four, he can leap. I mean, just a contested catch demon, uh, kind of in the Marvin Harrison Jr. mold and, and some similarities there. And then his tight end Jared Wiley really helps him on that intermediate stuff. He's six foot seven and can get up there. So he's got this big catch radius that helps Duggan out quite a bit. And then on the opposite side of the field of Johnston is, is Savion Williams, who's six, five. So he's got, you know, several receivers who are, who are big catch radius guys and can kind of leap and get up there. So it, it helps him out quite a bit, I would say. Yeah. And then he's also got a really good, college slot in um Darius Davis who's a dangerous return man super fast um and they they throw a ton of stuff around the line of scrimmage so there's a Bill Connolly tweet out there with some some cool stats in it uh over a third of TCU's passes are less than zero air yards so that's a third of their passing attempts or screens and they complete 80 percent of them and that goes into Duggan's accuracy a lot of it is the fact that they have a a, a very heavy dose of screens and the good news for michigan is that they're giving up 2.9 yards a, an attempt on throws behind the line of scrimmage and that was one thing i was concerned about just watching this because it's such a it's a, such a wide receiver screen heavy league that it's just clear that everybody has plans for all of these screens and we haven't really seen michigan at least it didn't feel like we had seen michigan defend those very much but you know, you go look at the numbers, and it's like, yeah, they've defended a fair number of them very, very well. Yeah, they did so it's against Purdue. And, like, as long as, like, Moten doesn't completely whiff on his guy, there's always, like, a plan oh. for it, right? Like, Michigan's <laughs> problems have been – it's screen 
his defense has been more tackling than getting a guy there. Uh, they do play off sometimes, but I figure that the plan for this is like, Will Johnson going to be stuck on at least one of those receivers and, you know, kind of have to survive with DJ Turner's littleness on the other big tall receiver. And I mean, if you and then Samer still, I think, can handle Davis. So like, they're going to probably play some man against these guys, right? I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of man. Like, we didn't play a whole lot of man against Ohio State. Uh, I don't think there's a reason to play man against this team. Because if you play man and Max Duggan breaks the pocket, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the huge uh, pass. Uh, not the huge. It was a huge run on the touchdown drive to tie uh, K State. Is K State sent the house, played man behind it, and then one of their defensive tackles just sort of wandered inside when he shouldn't have, and that was a 50 yard run. So, well, and that's where the vertical passing game comes into play, right? If you're playing man and they're running four verts out of the, you know. All of a sudden, the DBs are 35 yards down the yeah. field, and if you don't have linebackers there in the middle, Duggan escapes, and and there is a massive, massive uh, area to to pick up. Yeah, and that goes back to the biggest strength of this offense, and probably the biggest strength of this team, and that is that they are massively explosive. Like they are impossibly <laughs> explosive. They have. They lead the Big 12 in plays of 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards, and 70 yards. And they got pipped by Kansas State when it comes to 80. So, and like they have 19 plays of 50 plus yards this year. And I think a lot of that goes back to Duggan's legs, right? We keep talking about how explosives get a lot more common when you have a quarterback that has to be accounted for and Duggan has to be accounted for. I mean, his impact, I mean, he's getting six, seven carries a game. That's going to go up in a big game. So he's going to be 10, 12 carries in this game and you got to defend that. And then you got to defend a top 10 wide receiver. That's a tall order. I mean, are we reaching like spy territory? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to see a lot of zone. And when you play a lot of zone, you don't need to leave a spy in. Um, but to me, like when Duggan takes a sack, it's, it's not like, oh, I tried to get back to the line of scrimmage and I took a two yard sack. He takes 12 yard sack. He takes 14 yard sacks. So he's to Aaliyah in, of, in, in, of sorts. Yeah, cause he never, he never lets a play go. Nope. Like he's, he's not a guy who's going to be like, oh, we'll get him on the next down. No, he's like, <laughs> we're scoring a touchdown every fucking, <laughs> every play. <laughs> and like to me, you're we're the favorite. We're going to be a touchdown favorite or a nine point favorite, and got to get after him. You got to move him off his spot because accuracy does get shaky if you move him off his spot. Um, and so to me, I'm going to accept the cost of a couple of big Duggan scrambles. Um, and you can't lay back. You got to go after it. So do you blitz to contain? I mean, that seems like a lot more. No, I mean, what, I mean. One of the weird things is that a ton of teams spent their entire defensive game plan alternating between max blitzes and three-man rushes. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe how many three-man rushes. Welcome to the Big got. Twelve, Brian. <laughs> I mean, it's like the idea of rushing four. They're like, no, God, what? That's insane. Um, but yeah, I feel like Mike uh, Mike Morris is going to be extremely important in this game because he's the one guy who you think can be impact pass rusher just organically against these guys. Cause particularly the right tackle has a hard time anchoring. He will get driven back into Duggan's lap. And so if you can do that consistently, 
like send five, don't send six, like fire zone and, and make him find the holes. And I feel like you watch these TCU games and it's like nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, 60 yards, 50 yards, nothing, 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 nothing. So um, I think Michigan's general strategy this year has been to kind of lay back and stiffen in the red zone because they don't have like the elite rusher to get you off. And I think that's a good plan for these guys, you know, just give them the Ohio state. And when, once it gets down inside the the 20, all right, we're the big 10 team. You're the big 12 team. You power it in. Alex, did you look at their fourth down stuff? Like, are they pretty aggressive? I would assume they would be with that quarterback and Sonny Dykes. I mean, they went for it a few times against K state. I, I don't know their stats for the year. Oh, they are. You can just tell by the way that they play the game that they're looking in fourth and medium to set up a fourth and short. Like, third and medium? A third and medium, yeah. They, they they love to set it up and go for it. So Craig is going to love yeah. these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's it's smart. I mean, and yeah. I think that's the way you got to play, especially in the Big 12. Now, the thing about their line, you go back to the Football Outsiders line stats, and they're all pretty mediocre. So they're 61st in line yards. They're... 55th in opportunity rate or 73rd in power success rate or 48th in stuff rate. So this is not, doesn't look like a line that is going to overpower Michigan's defensive line, especially because this is a big 12, right? Like there's sure you got a lot of three man lines in this conference. You got a lot of guys deep. So I would, I would be very surprised if they were overpowering Michigan. I mean, <laughs> just given what they're set up to do and we should point out Kendra Miller. I mean, Brian mentioned him a little bit earlier. They're running back. He is really good. Uh, he had a great season for them, ran for a ton of yards. He does a lot of it on his own outside of tackles because their offensive line doesn't get a ton of push. And when you look at what their explosive stuff on the ground tends to be, it's the result of playing these light boxes, right? This is a big 12. They're spray, spreading it all out, three-man defensive lines, maybe a couple linebackers. You know, linebacker misses the run fit, and all of a sudden, he's off to the races. And if he's going between the tackles, that's how it tends to be. If you're uh, going to be loading up along the line, he's probably not going to get a ton of space. K-State kind of had a pretty good plan. And so in that championship game, everything he did was bouncing outside, right? Bounce, 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 because there's just nothing going on inside the tackles. And that's my guess of what's going to be happening in this in this game against a team like Michigan. Yeah, you're watching a lot of these Big 12 teams, and I'm going over why was this a chunk run. And I guess it's not alarming, but it felt alarming. A really alarming percentage of the time, it was just like, oh, that guy busted a run fit. And I, I just wonder if, you know, if you're in that conference, you're not repping the run game as much, and you're more likely to end up in the wrong spot. Because there were a couple instances where I was just like, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of those, and you mentioned using fire zones against them. I mean, a lot of those probably were fire zones where they just got caught, like with the guy backing out who's supposed to be. No, no, getting I'm, into I'm talking. I'm talking about linebackers. Just they got a corner blitz on, and the linebackers uh, outside. Yeah, the linebackers <laughs> like, oh, I'm the force guy. No, you're not. You got a corner blitz on. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's it just feels like a situation where. Michigan is very disciplined in this, and we had some issues in the Indiana game because Michael Barrett wasn't quite up to snuff as an inside linebacker. But in terms of busted run fits, uh, I mean, Ohio State had a little bit of something early in that game, but that was a tactical thing. That was not a guy making a mistake. And I kind of feel like 
if they expect that they're going to trick Michigan, put Michigan in a situation where they're like, oh, I haven't seen that before, um, I don't think that's going to happen. No, I'm, I'm more concerned because they run a lot of the um, that like counter read where it's just like the, you know, like read the backside guy and then run to the. So, you know, Michigan, when they've defended power before, Mike Morris, don't even bother running that side. Jalen Harrell, eh, you could kick him out. You know, Yabioki, eh, he might fly upfield. Like, they have had some issues dealing with stuff like what they do from light boxes because then it's, you know, you're already accounting for a guy with a linebacker and there's some cracks you can make that way as long as you're getting away from the tackles and putting it on the ends. Well, one, one thing is that uh, – What's the tight end's name? Jared Wiley. One thing is, is that Wiley, um, Alex mentioned he's six foot seven. Might make you think of Mike Gasicki. He's Mike Gasicki. He's the worst blocker I have <laughs> seen this year as a tight end. He's, Since Mike Gasicki? He's so bad. Like just getting run over by linebackers kind of thing. Yeah. Like Mike Morris is going to trash this dude. Do, but do they put him on the line or do they spread him out? I mean, they, it's, do, they do both. They do yeah, both. Okay. Yeah, we and put them spread out in the. It, that was kind of a note, like on, when we did the chart. Alex and I put him spread out in like in a four wide, just to kind of note. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, well, the that's wide. what it looks like a lot of the time, right? Like they'll right. either have him as uh, in flexed out, or they'll take him off the field and they'll put the other slot receiver. Because when they yeah. go for proper four wide, they've got two outside that are six five, six four, and then two slots that are both five ten, and so it's kind of the the roster ideal. They do have a, a blocking tight end, Carter Ware, who comes on in uh, 12 personnel. He doesn't have a catch this season. So if you see him on the field, you know what he is. And I want to do shout out their other tight end, the one who catches a little more, six foot five, Jorquarius Spivey, G E O R apostrophe Q U A R I U S, Jorquarius. Nice. A new one. I know. Just that's, that's, that's our name of the week, Ken. I wanted Ask to get that on, State, on the record. Where he transferred from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the blocking tight end also wears eighty four. So he, Joel Honingford and that dude will have like a bro off after the game. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Did you start as an OL too? <laughs> I think that overall, the one thing I'll say about this offense, they're just the make plays offense. Right. Like this is the offense that I put in the FFFF, but the famous Mike Villani rant when he's just yelling, you know, make plays. But this is what this offense is. They just make plays like they have a few horses at the big positions, right? Quarterback, running back, one of their wide receivers. And they're a smart enough schemed offense. They do enough things right. And they just get guys to make plays and it, it fills in their dry spells. Um, and they'll probably get some plays as a result of that. But from a down-to-down basis, I just I don't know about their ability to hang up, uh, hang in there against Michigan. I, I want to point so, out before we like move on from the offense that like it's a Sonny Dykes offense. Like we faced this when we played SMU a few years ago, and Dykes, even though his father was a coach for a long time, Dykes is like a leech guy, and like that this is the pirate offense where he like he they're gonna run the same play every single time the play is go get open and they adjust to you as you play. So if you kind of stick with the same strategy or they're running up the plays, they just tend to get better as the game goes on and better at the end of halves. And I think that, you know, this was an extreme example this year, but I think that Duggan's heroics are partly that like 
not entirely. Like, there are some just crazy things that happen in the end of TCU games. But they do adjust to what you do, and, and the receivers especially get used to how you're covering them. Well, it was a blowout when we played SMU, but wasn't it um, Crochet? Yeah, James Crochet. It just had like slant catch after slant catch after slant catch and end up with like double digit catches. And I mean, you know, it wasn't overly relevant because Michigan was walking away, but they did find something that worked. Well, and that was that was Don Brown, right? So we resolved this whole sub that's true subplot about like, okay, we gave up the slants. So now we got to stop blitzing Devin Bush so he can buzz the slants. And now like, oh, now they're going to go like run a slot corner on us. And it's like, ah, which is another reason that I think we're going to see a lot of zone. And, you know, Michigan was able to dump out enough new looks against Ohio state that CJ Stroud often didn't know what he was looking at. And Duggan isn't dissimilar in that way. He will hold the ball a long time. I mean, part of this was he will hold the ball a long time because they're brushing three, but there were a lot of uh, situations where, he was given all the time in the world and he ends up scrambling for two or three yards on these plays. So if you can prevent them from hitting home runs, which is obviously a pretty big ask, um, you can, you can shut them down And Texas, Texas did do that. So, and I, I think uh, Texas tech did the same thing. They got a kickoff touch, uh, no a punt return touchdown against Texas tech. And then they didn't score a touchdown until I think the late third quarter. So, you know, Michigan has done, a pretty excellent job at holding down the opposition. So <clears throat> it's uh strength versus strength. Well, we can talk about some of the schedule stuff later, but like they had halves this year that were, or m- majorities of halves anyway, that just looked anemic, right? I mean, like they got into multiple deep holes. And so there is that part of the offense that like Alex was saying with like the explosiveness and everything where when it doesn't go boom, sometimes it kind of goes bust. Yeah, that's true. Like they their rushing game in particular is very feast or famine. So they'll grind out three yards and then rip off a chunk, but that ability to get five, six fairly consistently that Michigan has, TCU isn't isn't built like that. And their offensive line, I think they are pretty good at moving people, especially on doubles. But one thing they get to do is they get to go up against three man lines the whole time. So like other guys are bringing people down from wherever, but given the situation, I kind of felt like on a lot of these plays that they needed to do better because the box that they're running against is so light. They all look like big guards. They all kind of look like tackles that they turned into guards, including the tackles, even though they're one of them six six, one of them six seven listed. Like they're stiff like guards, they're maulers like yeah. guards, they're like that kind all of them are that kind of player. Yeah, they don't really do a whole lot of like, let's get this guy in space and and uh, have our offensive lineman block for him. They run a bunch of screens, but they're mostly wide receiver screens. And the few instances that we I saw of of those guys trying to get out of space, it wasn't exactly Ryan Hayes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the concerns that I have is that it's not really going to matter, <laughs> like the down to down stuff, because. Michigan's cornerbacks, I guess, with the potentially pending exception of Will Johnson, can run. Like they're going to be in contact with these guys, but they have not done a great job of making plays on the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been DJ Turner's weakness this year. Is when the you know he go you put him against a big receiver and he gets a little bodied and 
you know, he that Quentin Johnson ma- um, matchup is not my favorite matchup of all time. But there's kind of two ways that teams have approached TCU. Is one of them is put your best corner on Quentin Johnston. If you can match him with Will Johnson, Savion Williams is a big guy, but he's not like you know you're he's not going to take over a game kind of guy. And I trust Samer still against Darius Davis. So like I I know you kind of want to see them zone and then just you know handle the front with a six-man box but they have the option too possibly of taking away their best player and you know hoping not to get <laughs> like there it's not like there's just that one way to beat them but well i know but like if you can get away with the Keon coleman gate game plan against tcu well i think then you're in pretty good shape yeah i mean the thing is if you look at michigan's pbu numbers jamon green's got three dj turner's got ten Mm-hmm. And Will Johnson has two, but he hasn't been playing as much. So, like, maybe Will Johnson changes the equation there a little bit. Because he got the start against Ohio State. He got the start against Purdue, and they rotate all those guys through. But maybe if you're throwing a fade at Will Johnson, it's just not going to work. So, Michigan, like, their best hope to outstrip regular season expectations is Will Johnson is that dude. He gets to man up whoever is the solo guy in trips formations. And then you can just put a guy over the top of the, the trips. And then maybe you can get away with an extra guy in the box. But other than that, I'm 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 playing too deep and trusting the front seven front six to to make it work. Yeah, and I guess it comes back to Mike Morris then. Because he's the he's the reason you can get away with an extra guy in the front six. I mean, Mike Morris, maybe you get some contributions from that sort of three-headed weak side end. Um, maybe Derek Moore takes a step forward because he's got a month of practice and he's a true freshman. Maybe Yabioki is able to do the same thing. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the pressure rate that Michigan has gotten this year, not that great. But also, there are worse things than having Max Duggan stuck in the pocket against a zone that he's trying to read through. So, I mean, they're going to get some points in this game. I have no doubt about that. but. If they're forced to drive the field and they're forced to put up field goals, then you know, Michigan's in good shape. Does anyone else have any takes on the TCU offense? Nope. nope. Forever hold your peace. We're going to take a break, come back, and talk about their defense. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. 
At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning lessees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. can't get enough Michigan victories at venue. They are having a watch party for the Fiesta Bowl. I will not be in attendance because I will be going to the Fiesta Bowl, but there will be food and drink available. Uh, Seth is giving it silly names that are related to Michigan. Uh, just so the drinks. They let me name the drinks, just, all right? Just the drinks. And uh, and I cannot vouch for the food enough. They have giant screens and pleasant people. Hit it up. Venue. All right. The TCU defense, as mentioned before, it is very big 12 defense. They're a three-man line. Except in goal line situations, it's those three guys, and they don't do a whole lot of rotation, if I'm if I remember correctly. They do pinch those guys inside against heavy sets, but really we didn't see a whole lot of that except against Kansas State. And I really wish we had Blake Quarterman in this game because 
Deuce Vaughn did some things uh, against this team. Um, their linebackers are very aggressive, which they have to be, because if you allow your defensive tackles to get doubled consistently, it's going to go badly for them. And I think that they're going to have some issues because a lot of their good run play, run defense plays I saw were issues with the offensive line identifying who to block and what and how to get off blocks. And that has not been something that Michigan has had a problem with this year. I mean, Olu Oluotimi has been fantastic. Zinter has been fantastic. You know, Keegan, when he's present, has been fantastic. You have a, a veteran line, two-time Joe Moore award winners, and they're going to have to do things that they are not used to doing if they're going to shut down the Michigan rush offense. Yeah, I mean, you start with a um, – I mean, they're they're a three three five, but, like, they run that four oh four tight that I – We've been talking about since the uh, since the Army game. Since Army, yeah. Just, yeah. I, I I expect Michigan has um, grown up a, a little bit since that game, and are not going to come out with the same game plan. Uh, but like the the thing that Michigan would love is for them to have to bring their safeties down, and that's what TCU does. They have three safeties out there, and they'll bring all three of them in and play without a free safety if they feel like they can't stop the run. To which Michigan replies bring it on right like that's that's the kind of game we would love to play in um i was i mean i don't know if donovan edwards hand has gotten that much better but he was effectively so the reports State, so that i saw is that he's still got a cast but it's smaller he's improved so he might be more of a factor in the passing game okay so i mean that's that's what unlocks it right like an athlete and running back when they're playing that kind of play, playing that kind of style, Michigan has no problem putting more guys in the box. Alex, what did you see from their defensive line? Um, their defensive line, I think, is okay. They don't get a ton of organic rush just because they rush three, and so they just get you know two of those guys get doubled. There isn't a lot getting home, but that opens up the lanes for their linebackers to get downhill, and that's what the linebackers do best because these are old school linebackers who like to rush. These are big boys. Uh, those linebackers, 240, 250. And some of them, they look like they're from 1998 and they can play like it. Um, and the DL, they mostly just try to keep it clean for those linebackers. That's where the pressure comes from is getting those linebackers going. Um, I don't really, I don't necessarily think the, the defensive line will be a big, problem for Michigan to deal with. But the problem for me in, in assessing this defense is there's just no teams that TCU plays that are analogous to Michigan, right? There's just like, well, I thought Kansas state was not too dissimilar. They ran a lot of two tight end sets. I mean, yeah. They have a Blake Corum clone at running back and they do run their quarterback. Um, you know, by the time they, well, the thing about the Kansas state games is in the first one, they got down to their third string guy. And then Aiden uh, Martinez was not available for the Big 12 championship game. So they went with a guy who uh, was pretty decent, but you know he's 6'4", 235. So the running threat he brings is significantly different than the one that J.J. McCarthy brings. Yeah, I think Kansas State does some things that are similar. It, yeah, I, I think just overall in terms of when you look at their season, you know how many times they see a team that rushes 50 times a game? It, Zero. I looked at this. <laughs> so that's just a little <laughs> different. Uh, but no, yeah, I think Kansas State did some stuff that was interesting to me, especially they come out with two tight ends and TCU is still going three, three, five. And they're still going with these light boxes. And it's kind of like, oh, uh, 
I, I don't know how that would do against Michigan, but it, it does enough in the Big 12. I mean, there are some people that I've seen who do analyze this kind of stuff that don't have a stake in this game and are kind of just like, oh, man, TCU's defensive line, they're going to get annihilated. Like, they have no shot of hanging in there against Michigan. I'm like, I'm not willing to go there. I'm not, I'm not ready to say that uh, because we just don't have any common opponents to really get a sense. But, like, their nose tackle is a true freshman. And obviously Michigan has one uh, playing as a true freshman on the defensive line, but that's not something you normally see. He's 320 and decently athletic, but he wasn't like a top 300 recruit either. I mean, there is some stuff there that I do think gives you quite a bit of hope. Horton, uh, their one end, I do like quite a bit. I think he's pretty good as a pass rusher when he gets a chance to not be doubled and gets into space decently well, but... Overall, this isn't a super intimidating defensive line. Do you think that they'll stack the box? I mean, like, that's basically what Ohio State and Purdue so tried to do. And they I mean- sort of did that against Texas. And that's the game that we do kind of have to talk about because that's by far their best rushing defense performance of the season. They shut Bijan Robinson down, and there was Whoa. nothing going on for Texas in that game. And part of it was a ton of guys around the line. So when my defensive piece goes up, I have a screenshot and you've got TCU's three defensive linemen all being doubled and there's wide open holes in all three places. And it's, it's a shot from taken from behind the quarterback. And in all three holes, there's a linebacker standing right there coming downhill. And that was the story against Texas is that, you know, their defensive linemen soak up the doubles and they've got guys in every single hole and the safeties were rolling way down. Everyone was around the line. And that was partially a consequence of the fact that Texas could not hit a deep ball to save their life. Like that performance. I don't know if any watched that game. Yes. Lord almighty was Quinn Ewers horrible in that game. I mean, so was Xavier worthy. So was Xavier. Wor- I mean, the whole Texas offense, the play calling, the players, their wide receivers must've dropped five easy completions. Some of them on screens. I mean, it, it was brutal. Were there and- plays there? You said they're, they're yeah, they, oh, yeah, there were. Play, I mean, I, there was a deep shot to Xavier Worthy where he drifts back, and it gets bro- broken up. And I'm like, dude, go get the ball. Like, who is coaching you? Um, and then he, there were just straight drops, misses, and I don't. I, don't, I have no idea what anyone sees in you or it's just like that's that throwing motion is just broke. But Bijan Robinson got 12 carries in that game. Yeah. So at some point, like, who shut down Bijan Robinson? Was it? TCU or was it Texas? Um, <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's like so. Texas is Texas. Are they back? No. Michigan this year is the king of duo, right? So Michigan can double those linemen, and those linebackers in the gaps are not going to be unmolested. So one thing that they had just been outstanding at is keeping their heads up, and Olu and Zinter in particular, and if there's a linebacker coming, well, he's going to go get that. That's what happened on the 85-yard run for Donovan Edwards against Ohio State. You know, it's like, oh, we got to we gotta double this guy, and here's a linebacker coming real hard, and that, not a problem. So if that's the way TC wants to play, I'm sure they're going to get some stuffs, but there's going to be more than one instance where Donovan Edwards is ripping through that secondary. Yeah, I think that's decently, decently likely. I, one other thing here, I, I was uh, thinking about this. There, I think there are two ways you can go about this. One of them is to load up like Michigan does and just try to smash TCU into face and do that sort of thing. And I think it will have some success, possibly significant success. The other way is to target the the edge 
uh, in the in the run play, right? Stretch it horizontally. Kansas State ran a ton of jet sweeps. They had that uh, receiver, I think his name was Knowles, maybe Malik Knowles, that might have his name. He got four or five jet sweeps. A few of them went 20, 30 yards. Uh, TCU doesn't have a ton of athletes in on their defense, and you can kind of uh, attack their side-to-side speed. And that's an area I think that uh, can keep those boxes lighter, is if you're mixing in, loading up, and attacking them you know, through duo, and then also mixing in some... Jet sweeps. I mean, if AJ Henning's healthy, that could be a, a role for him. Mix okay. him in there a little bit. Donovan Edwards can play that role too, and just try and and mix it up because Kansas State had success there, and then that creates opportunities for Deuce Vaughn for them in that game. That was the game that Johnny Hodges missed, right? Though their their middle linebacker. Yeah, or, yeah. He's because I mean I remember him playing against Texas. He was like the guy, basically the the one who gets into the backfield and bends that edge back. So he. You know, the way the 404 tight works, that middle linebacker is more kind of an edge attacker, um, or at least an edge. It, he's, his job is to kind of push things backwards and let the uh, let the rest of the guys clean up. So I think that you put a cyan on his backup, the Texas A&M transfer. His name's not coming to me right now. Uh, yes, that's Shadrick Banks. Yeah. Uh, he was definitely a step down. I mean, Hodges is a fine player. It's just kind of, to me... The linebackers, I just, they're just not Junior Colson athletic, right? And if you can find ways to get them in space and to go after them, I mean, these guys are kind of like if you had Mike McCray and Josh Ross and, you know, insert someone else as your three linebacker. Like, they are. This just is violence to Mike McCray and Josh Man. Ross. Those, those guys are decently athletic players. <laughs> they're on the NFL players, man. Well, I remember Mike McCray against Saquon Barkley. So. I remember Mike uh, yeah. McCray against Dalvin Cook. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people who've been embarrassed by Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley, okay? <laughs> that is true. That That is true. So the other thing is that these guys are extremely aggressive, so if you can put them in the wrong gaps, yep. like Michigan has that little cutback play where it looks like power and then the uh, puller dives inside and digs out the defensive tackle. Like That almost broke against Ohio State, but it was C.J. Stokes. Um, and if they have stuff like that, that's able to go back to kind of early Harbaugh stuff and it's like, whoops, your run fit isn't the run fit you think it's supposed to be. Then I think you know Michigan is going to be able to to make this this work. And then the other thing is heavy play action. So there are, I mean, you mentioned it in the TCU game, uh, not the TCU, the Texas game, is that Ewers would turn around to hand off, and those guys were firing, mm-hmm. like they weren't they weren't waiting for the results of what the handoff was going to be. So this is a game for Colston Loveland, uh, Luke Schoonmaker over in the middle, because when Michigan establishes the run and i think they will early tcu is going to get nosier and nosier and then you got to be able to do the things that texas was not able to do in that game and that's complete passes in that kind of intermediate zone 10 to 20 yards downfield well and i think this is where you look at the coaching staff and you say hey you've just given them a month to prepare and you know that michigan was saving stuff all year for ohio state and they were practicing every week for ohio state and building that game plan well it's not the same thing as you know five or six months and a lot of the summer but i mean they may be having something if they need to play ohio state or georgia again but my guess is that they'll have a lot of things that get tcu like you said with their hyper aggressive you can get them in the wrong places and simple plays could bust a lot of things open yeah i i think brian's point about the linebackers is is a decent one that you you need to mess with them 
you need to do something to put them in conflict because they're really good at just oh it's going to be a run play so we're we're running downhill we're we're firing hard and we're off if you don't mess with them you're asking for trouble and texas didn't do that but if you can cook up some plays to put them in in precarious situations then all of a sudden you can really get rolling and i think uh the point about Loveland in particular is a good one as we transition to talking about the pass defense. Cause I like their corners pretty, pretty, uh, I think they're pretty good. I don't think they're, you know, first round picks uh, they're not projected as such, but they're decent. The linebackers and coverage up to the safeties. That's where I think you've got opportunity. I mean, Kansas state had a few looks down the seam where they get a guy burned past the linebacker safety's a little late to pick him up. And they hit a few of them. Will Howard missed a few of them, but that really looked like the most vulnerable area. And they and they would motion Deuce Vaughn out there too, not just tight ends, but running backs. That's the area where I think they are going to be most vulnerable in pass defense. Yeah, and TCU's uh, defensive backs are are very good. They hey they get their hands on a ton of balls. Uh, that Connolly tweet. They have a thirty nine percent contest rate on passes which is huge like georgia's at 28 ohio state's at 28 michigan is at 34 so michigan is doing pretty well for them but they're in and the bad thing about michigan is that they're terrible at contested catches (laughs) they don't don't try them i mean well so they, they don't try them but they do happen and amongst the playoff teams, uh, complete contested completions, Ohio State 43%, Georgia and TCU 40 Michigan 29 So that is a very large potential issue, is that these guys are sticky, and they don't let you get away that often. And when that's the case, this looks like a real strength for TCU against a weakness for Michigan. Yeah, I wouldn't really try and, and mess with that too much. They're, they're two uh, cornerbacks. They have uh, on the outside there uh, Josh Newton and Trevius Hodges Tomlinson. Those two guys were uh, first team all Big 12. I think they passed the eye test. They look pretty good to me. I think you're better off going after the safeties, linebackers, and even their nickel uh, in coverage than trying to throw at those corners, even though Hodges Tomlinson is, is five foot nine and he's playing on the outside. Like in theory, that's an area that if you have a guy to go after and uh, to try and exploit, but Michigan, that's just not their DNA. That's not what they try to do really. I mean, I just doubt we're going to be seeing the, the Andrew Anthony jump ball in this game. No, against, but I have, like, so Michigan likes to use multiple tight ends and they're, what TCU likes to do is just compress. They don't like to pull their guys off the field that much. They don't want to change their personnel. I wonder how tight endy Michigan wants to get in this game because you can put Colson Loveland in a spot where he's actually matched on a cornerback, and that's a guy you would throw a jump ball to, and that's the kind of contested catch uh, matchup that I think Michigan would be favored in. I mean, that's the way Michigan wants to play. They want to you know, put a lot of tight ends on the field. They want you to bring your guys down. They want Colston Loveland to put you in a position where you have to, you know, either put a corner on him in coverage or put both corners on the other side of the field and declare exactly what you're going to do. Yeah, and I just, I'm just i really hoping that Donovan Edwards is full go enough that he can be that threat that motions out of the backfield because that really puts them in a bind. Are they going to put one of their Mike McCray linebackers out there or are they going to 
have one of their Mike McCray linebackers try to cover in space against a wide receiver? I mean, that doesn't seem like a question that TCU has a lot of good answers for. When was the last time Michigan was on this end of the running back linebacker <laughs> matchup? Uh, <laughs> I mean, has that ever really? I mean, I'm sure someone's had to cover Edwards or, or Corum in the last year or two, but I mean, Devin, that Devin hasn't Bush happened was, a lot. Devin Bush was pretty good. No, no, no. I mean, where you'd have like the where we're being able to take advantage or Michigan's able to take advantage of the bigger, stodgier linebackers. Oh, well, the Michigan State game this year. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) caveats there. (laughs) Uh, One thing that's interesting about TCU, too, to talk about is their pressure component and their blitzing. So they came in with the, I think, the highest score of rushing three that I've seen all season, which, you know, makes some sense given the base defense they play. But they were pretty different depending on opponent. So they were blitzing quite a bit against Texas and Quinn Ewers and ramping up quite a bit in that game. Kansas State, they rushed three almost, like I think it was 65% of the time, maybe close to 70. I mean, it was just a, we're dropping, you know, eight into coverage and just going to rush three and you have all the time in the world. So I'm not sure what they're going to do against Michigan. I would assume they'll blitz quite a bit more than they did against Kansas State, but something to watch and and to monitor because you know, uh, three, three, five defense, not necessarily, uh, something they're super comfortable doing in terms of, of rushing a lot more than, uh, what you would see in the big 10, for example. Well, yeah. 87th and sack rate this year. They don't really get after it. Maryland rushed three a bit. Right. And JJ at times had trouble kind of looking at or figuring out what he was looking at. Yeah. And that's part of it is just the fact that they don't have a lot of close area contested catch guys and um did feel like is that the game where it just felt like someone needed to make a play i think it was somewhat it was a different game if that was a wreckers game where it's like someone catch the ball yeah but that's that's the, that's the wild card right like if colson loveland is able to do what it looks like he's capable of doing in a bigger role which is something that does happen in bowl games as your younger players tend to step up then that changes the equation for Michigan because JJ has a guy where it's like, ah, this is probably a decent idea, <laughs> even if it's not. Um, well, and this could be where JJ's legs come into play too, is if he, if they do rush three and they're sitting guys back and he can take four or five here or there, I mean, that can keep Michigan ahead of the sticks. And this seems like game that, I mean, every game is because it's Michigan, but this seems more like a game where they may want to be, sort of possession heavy and maybe take the air out of not take the air out of the ball, but like stay on the field a long time and force your explosive offense to like have to go boom all the time. And then, and then you just have um, in fewer possessions. I, I would think not even hold on to the ball a long time. I think this is more like the Penn state approach or uh, actually Washington a couple of years off uh, last year where like they have good cornerbacks that you don't really want to test. They want to bring guys down into the box, and Michigan doesn't have to play their dual game inside. They can also put a couple tight ends on the field and play that game outside, and that's what they did against Washington a few years ago. And, like, I don't know if we need to pass the ball more than 100 yards this game to win because Michigan has the capability with their running game to break huge plays, especially if they're using J.J.'s legs. And well, this is like a defense that wants to do that. I think it depends on what TCU's approach is. 
Because if they are sending those safeties down into the box, if they are really getting aggressive, I mean, one thing we saw in the Texas game was that there were open shots down the middle of the field. So Texas just happened to miss all of them. <laughs> um, well, we've been there a couple of times. So, but so when those safeties get flat and get nosy into the box, then you're not looking at those cornerbacks anymore. Then you're looking at what's going to happen when Roman Wilson is running against the safety. And are those guys athletic enough to keep up if they are caught flat footed on play action? And from what I've seen, the answer is probably not. And it's just like, is JJ going to be able to hit those shots? We saw him hit him against Ohio state. Um, these will be less open because they have to be, <laughs> but I think, I mean, and he I hit think some that, against, uh, against Purdue as well. Yeah. He, I mean, he had, he had a number of DOs against Purdue and I, I thought that was encouraging from his. So he's got two good games in a row where he's really been hitting people downfield. Um, and they're the yeah. sort of the the rudockening, right? Is where what we called it, or where yeah, you know, I mean, the second half of the season where he's starting to hit those kinds of p- passes. I mean, in this case, it really didn't happen until the Ohio State game. So, so and many, then, yeah, and then and then then against Purdue, he was he used exiting the pocket as a crutch, and I mean that might work against this team if they're rushing three a bunch, but I just don't think they're going to do that. Like I think they're going to look at the, what happened against Iowa, which is by many estimations, the number one defense in the country. And they're just going to be like, yeah, we can't, we can't let these guys get doubles on our defensive tackles without having something happen. So there's got to be some middle ground between what Iowa did and what Ohio state did. And I think TCU will try to find it. And that means they're going to be pretty aggressive. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. All right. uh, We're going to come back, take a break and talk about, sort of miscellaneous things. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. 
It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. <laughs> Seth, give me the lowdown from Ticket IQ on the Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl tickets are down eh, like two twenty if you wanna if you wanna get in with two people. So I I told you I told you to wait. You've waited long enough. If you want to go buy your tickets now, I, I I suggest you can start picking around now. There's a a filter you can use. Just like, go to the next to filters. It says price. Go to best deal. That's the way to find the really cool stuff and. You can find some really nice ones, including some seats down low at uh, on the 50-yard line. So ticket IQ and the price you see is the price you pay. All right. So we haven't t- touched on the TCU special teams. Excellent kicker, fifth in efficiency. They have a punt return touchdown against TCU. Not TCU. I keep doing that. Texas Tech this year. Uh, their slot receiver, who uh, his name now slips my mind. Darius Davis. Darius Davis, very, very explosive, dangerous guy who Michigan has not had to deal with the likes of him. For Michigan, it's like, was Brad Robbins dinged at the end of the season? Does that explain his kind of severe fall off in production? And is he healthy now? Because Michigan kind of fell in the FEI special teams rankings. They're all the way down to ninth. And the problem is, is that 
They're 73rd in punt efficiency now. So uh, that really didn't seem to have any sort of explanation other than Brad Brad Robbins isn't right. And that'll be a major factor to see if he is. So now their punter is fairly mediocre. And you know they have some explosiveness in the kick return game from the same guy. So it's a pretty even matchup in terms of special teams. I wouldn't necessarily expect going in that either team would have a major advantage. I would think Michigan would just kick the ball out the back of the end zone. Yes. They wouldn't dare this on, guy to go on kickoffs. I would hope so. Sometimes that doesn't quite work out. I mean, it will be a dome. So, or is it a dome? No. Uh, well, the roof kind of opens depending on if they want it to. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of like gold Cowboys stadium in, in Irving. I think it's normally open during what we call the winter. Right. <laughs> they don't call it the winter. <laughs> they call it gets a little bit cooler. Yeah. The drier season. the The punter is an Aussie, though. He's um, you know, doesn't kick it far, but there's not going to be a lot of return opportunities against him. And then we should probably talk about the shape of TCU's season. So they have <laughs> some early walkovers, and then they're in a competitive game against SMU. They blow out Oklahoma, which turns out to be a pretty bad team. They escape Kansas by a touchdown. They escape Oklahoma State by a field goal. They escape Kansas State by 10 points larger because Kansas State gets down to their uh, third-string quarterback. They beat WVU and Texas Tech by 10 each. They're down to Texas Tech early. They beat Texas by a touchdown. They beat Baylor on a last-second fire drill field goal. They obliterate Ohio, uh, Iowa State, and then they lose to Kansas State in overtime. So this is uh, if you replay this season 10 times, TCU gets to the playoff once. Because yeah. they have been in, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there were there were two games. I think it, it was the overtime, double overtime win against Oklahoma State, and then I think it was the Kansas State game before that, where they were down like twenty four seven, twenty eight ten, something like that, like three scores, not late, but you know, getting into the second quarter, where you're like, well, you know, as a fan, you're kind of like, are we keeping this game on the TV or not? You know, Ian Boyd's been calling yeah. them the TCU Vikings all year. So, <laughs> I mean, oh. that's good. They need two touchdowns in the They're fourth purple. quarter <laughs> against Okie State to to even get that one to to uh, overtime. And I think they had some four, like big fourth down plays. I remember on that right. that they had to convert. That it wasn't like, oh yeah, you know they're marching back or whatever. But it was like, if this doesn't go, this play doesn't go well. This game is over multiple times. Yeah, yeah. and they they score with a buck thirty six left to to beat Kansas. Like this is a team that has really been living on the edge the whole year. Yeah, Kansas also, that's the game where uh, Jalen Daniels gets hurt in the middle of the game and oh. kind of flips Kansas's season on <laughs> upside down. So there were two different games this year against the two Kansas teams in conference where the starting quarterback gets hurt for the opponent. So <laughs> that was a bit of a lift for them. I mean, honestly, the team this squad most reminds me of in terms of the arc of their season is a 2015 MSU team. Right. Mm-hmm. The another team where you would say if we play this season out a hundred times, this happens one time. Right. It's got that team of destiny vibes to it. Now, they're a much better team. Uh, the 15 MSU team, I think, was like 18th in SP plus something like that. <laughs> this team is much higher than that. They're in the top 10. So, you know, got to respect it a lot more. But it does have that feel where a lot of things went right in a lot of close games. Uh, the dice kind of rolled their way. And now they're here and they're confident, but they have many more holes, I think, than you would say about your 
your typical playoff team. So I, I was listening to a podcast a couple of years ago and the guy was floating a theory and this is maybe more NFL based, but he was talking about like one score games. And usually we look at them as, you know, you know, 50, 50, they're going to work out, you know, you're going to win some, lose some type of thing. But he was saying that, cause at the time I think uh, Russell Wilson was winning a lot of those games for the Seahawks. And he was saying that he was theorizing that, you know, maybe if you have a really good quarterback, you're going to win more of those games. Like, that is a control position where if you have that, I mean, Mahomes, we see Mahomes do that in the NFL all the time where they're in a lot. They are in the chiefs are in number of one score games this year, but he pulls them out in the end. And I just kind of wonder, like, is that a, a Duggan thing where, you know, there he's able to kind of make the plays and like, as Alex was saying, and then kind of rescue bad situations. And maybe the teams aren't as great in the big 12 that he's doing it against per se, but I mean, that's, I don't know if you guys subscribe to that theory or not, or is it just complete 50-50? It's stuff? hard to watch Duggan and not subscribe to that theory a little bit. Like he, <laughs> he pulled, even the game they lost, like he pulled them back into that game at the end, and you know they maybe run him one more time, they they win instead of just trying to pull yeah. back into a stack line. So yeah, I mean, so part of it is like there's one score games like Michigan 34, Maryland 27, <laughs> where you know that's a two touchdown game that gets gussied up. And then there's the kind of one score games that TCU's been in <laughs> <laughs> where you're down massively and you're pulling them out of your hat. Right. Yeah. And, and you're coming back and you're just in terms of game control though, like Michigan has had excellent game control. They really haven't been in a close game except for Illinois. And they had so many chances to win that game. Like, that wasn't like a – they did have to pull a rabbit out of a hat. But, I mean, Andrew Anthony drops a touchdown pass. And and J.J. has a wide-open Loveland that he misses. And, I mean, it's like – and then Gash drops the touchdown. So, it's like there were plays there. It wasn't yeah. like everything had to go perfectly. It was like Michigan screwed up like five of them and won it on the seventh one. Well, also worth noting on the Duggan as the close game artist – he didn't even start the season as the starting quarterback. Yeah, right. <laughs> when they went into the year, Chandler Morris was the starter for TCU, and he got 20 pass attempts into that game against Colorado, and then that's the end for him. And uh, injury brings Duggan on, and then from there, it's just kind of been uh, a totally different story. And this is Sonny Dyke's first season, also important to point that out. Uh, they fired Gary Patterson last year who was on the Texas coaching staff uh, for that Texas TCU game. And it, it's just been a fairy tale season, right? For them in so many ways with the, the new coach and the quarterback who comes in for the injury and the winning all the close games. And, uh, you know, I think there is a sense for TCU fans that kind of like Michigan was last year. And that's something the players have talked about quite a bit for Michigan, where last year they felt like we're just happy to be here. You know, we had this dream season. We're happy to be here in the Orange Bowl against Georgia. And I can't help but think that's kind of the way TCU was, right? Like, if you asked all the TCU fans you know, which I don't know any fans besides the <laughs> stats, brother? the stats of war guy. Uh, Isn't your brother but, a TCU fan? <laughs> once upon a time. Um, but, you know, they no one was going to say TCU was going to be a playoff team, right? Like, if Desmond Howard had put him, put them in that playoff bracket back in August, everyone was dunking on him on. He would have been dunked down for that too. Or didn't he have Baylor in there? Like take Baylor out, put TCU in. He would have been dunked down just as much. And so it just has been a magical ride for them. And 
you know, you have a Michigan team on the other side that's been in the playoff before and has kind of said in the in the press that, you know, they're not happy to be here, that they have been studying, that they dreamed about being back and, and getting that second shot. So that's another interesting sort of off the field psychological storyline. There has been a um, a meta commentary on the playoffs about whether you invite <clears throat> the best team or the most uh, deserving team. And I think that they're correct to bring the most deserving team, right? TCU, when you win those games, you deserve – if you win the, at Big 12, and that was a tough Big 12 this year. Uh, it was a deep Big 12. Yeah. They yeah. didn't win it. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> no, they did but, in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, but like you come out of that, you know, 12-1 uh, or 13-1, it's like – you you've sorry yeah they're twelve and one you've you've done it man like you deserve the trip to the playoffs just like Michigan State in two thousand fifteen deserved to be in the playoffs even though they were not good enough to necessarily be like a you know top eighty eightieth percentile per playoff team and then the rest of the med commentary is like oh sucks for Georgia they get the harder team and Michigan gets TCU they're not nothing you can't suck and be in the playoffs. But they're not like. Wait, what uh, about that Michigan State team, though? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they, they deserved to Brian, be they there. Almost they just, scored a point. They yeah, were really yeah, close they, to scoring a point. But that's that's. Uh, I think Bill Connolly did a series during this uh, this month where yeah. he like looked at every single playoff team and like who deserved and who was the best. And like Michigan State 2015 was like by far. The worst playoff team it was like that. He's like ex- the exception is these guys. Maybe leave these guys out. But that was, I mean, e- even Cincinnati last year was a tough out. They're just you know they were not on the level of Alabama. I'm not saying Michigan is on the level of Alabama last year, but Michigan is much closer to where Alabama is playing than where Cincinnati was playing. Yeah, and I mean they were five and seven last year, right? And they changed coaches. They bounce back in a big way but you know i think that they're probably just not on that level and what we're probably going to see is we're probably going to see michigan be significantly better down to down and then it's whether tcu can remain as explosive as they have been for this entire season and i, I you can't rule that out but i feel like you know we're going into a playoff game michigan's got a seven point vegas edge and a nine point sp plus edge probably not ever going to be any better than that in terms of a semi. So this is a major opportunity that Michigan really needs to take advantage of. Well, and you talk about how TCU gets better in the second half. Well, so does Michigan. And they did that all in the second half of the season. And they held Ohio State to three points in the second half. And it got dinged up a little bit against Purdue, but it was never really in doubt to say. So, I mean, if Michigan does come out and take control and TCU is like, okay, well, great. Well, we have them where we want them because we rally and we come back. Well, I mean, this is Michigan's thing too, right? Is like, you better get us early because if you don't, it's lights out. Yeah. And I mean, both of these teams have been excellent in the second half, but, you know, uh, I think in Michigan's case, what they have been doing is they haven't been translating their dominance on the field onto the scoreboard in the first half. And sometimes TCU is just getting dunked on for a half. <laughs> and that, just feels like, you know, in terms of, as we mentioned, game control, like, yeah, that pick six that happened because it went off a guy's helmet against Penn State, that's seven points, but that doesn't reflect what the game felt like. And often, 
TCU is going into halftime and you're like, oh, they, they better be a totally different team in the second half instead of like, they better be basically what they've been in the first half. And that's what they've done to their credit. But it does just kind of feel like one team is there and I think Michigan is there and TCU isn't quite there. They, they're having a year and I, I don't discount that their ability to win this game is a real thing. But just in terms of top to bottom, you go down these rosters and pretty hard to pick players who aren't Michigan at basically any, but there's, there's saying, I mean, there's sayings in like baseball and, and the NHL and, and NBA and, and that sort of thing that like the things that win the regular season don't always win in the playoffs because the competition gets better. And then like, you can't just have these full, like a lot of fool around games where you just pull things out because you know, I mean, it just doesn't happen when you start playing against that caliber of a team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen Michigan play against some very good offenses in two or three games. We've seen Michigan play against some very good defenses in two or three games. And I think we know what happens when we see these kind of teams. I don't know what TCU does. Like, what's the best offense TCU faced this year? They face some good teams, but I don't know what it is. What's the best defense uh, that TCU's faced this year? Uh, <laughs> I, I think by SP plus it was Iowa State, but oh my that, that game was that game was the Iowa Ohio State game all over again. Yeah, where just, it was like just unusable because Iowa State's offense was such a catastrophe. Yeah, so well, you, you said it correctly. Where I mean, the Big Ten or the Big Twelve was just deep this year. They weren't yep. top TCU's, heavy at all. I mean, we, no. I mean, it was kind of like, well, we know TCU is probably going to be in the title game, and it could be any one of five teams they face. Yeah. I mean, the Big Ten wasn't great this year, but what it did have is it had a number of great units. So Michigan's probably played the best offense in the country. They've probably played the best defense in the country. Whether that's Iowa, two of them. <laughs> I, whether that's Iowa, Illinois, I don't know. I mean, except for Georgia, right? But they've been up there. They've we've seen them perform against these kind of teams, and I feel pretty confident that Michigan's going to go into this game and handle it. So we're going to take a break. Come back and talk about. I don't know something. Basketball. What are we talking about? Basketball. 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 Uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and that used to be your thing. Well, but Just now, cut out football. No, we're not talking about Ohio we're State. We're not talking about, about basketball. We're talking about Isaiah Livers' haircuts and his tattoos. Well, I mean, could there possibly be? A- if you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from Emgo Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. 
obligated loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? 9. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Supersized hot take segment. I eat takes hotter than my son after he opened up three separate Pokemon decks. He's like, ah, it's the best day of my life. And I was like, that's really sad. You're six years old and all you want is Pokemon cards. So you gotta gotta experience the wonder of a sunset. <laughs> Seth? <laughs> Got them all. Give me you your honest take. Good luck, Seth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michigan recruiting is good, actually. Oh, <laughs> that is super hot. Yikes. Okay. I, I think that they 
show that they are really good at identifying players in they have certain tricks that they've been using that they leaned on a little bit this year. Even if they didn't get like those highlighter guys, they got some players who we I think we projected a lot of them a lot better. And then when you add in the uh, you know the transfer class, they're actually pretty strong and addressed a lot of their needs. And they didn't have a whole lot of spots available anyway. I think that you know we're gonna look back on this class and be like, eh, eh it was it was good. It was they they did a good job. I think they'll have. A much, I think they're not. They're not going to finish six in the Big Ten. Let me tell you that. Wait, I mean, Seth, I mean, Seth, Seth. When your voice goes higher, we believe you less. Sorry, David. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Randy. Rit, ask me how her one woman show was. How was her one woman show? It was good. It yeah, was I don't good. believe him. I don't believe good. him at all. I don't believe him now, at all. Now ask me how. Ask me how the guy's one man show was. How was his one man show? It was really good. Okay, see, I believe him now. So you he see went how it down. went down? Yeah, the I, yeah that's, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, well, it was, I mean, just look, at the, just look at the 2018 class. Everybody was like, oh, this is terrible. Brian's like, I don't want to MGO blog anymore. And then you go back and look at the class, and they got a bunch of NFL guys there. And some of them are, like, contributing on this team to a large extent. Yeah, Imera Kumba is Aiden Hutchinson 2.0. Actually, he you know, pretty, has, that's, 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 that's a big ass. That's a big, yeah. I mean, but, but I think the problem for a lot of people is that normally there are like four or five guys or three or four guys that fill out a class that were like, they took a flyer on these guys and they turned out great. This just happens to be a whole class of those guys. So it's taking more of the fan base's belief that they know what they're doing in the whole class because there's not one person you can point to and be like, that's the guy who's going to Except, except that they're not taking a flyer on, on Barner. They're not taking a flyer on Hausman. They're not really taking a flyer on those guys. Those guys are part of – I would say, Hausman, you're as much a part of this class as anyone else. You'll be here for three years. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's completely reasonable. And if he is as good as the Nebraska coaches thought he was, and that's that's a big recruit who's not going to be really accounted for. So I think that does help bridge the gap. But on the other hand, you know, you have J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, and Will Johnson on this team, and it's nice to have those. So sure. go get Nick Harbour, and we'll see how it's going. Exactly. Randy, give me your hottest take. Michigan is going to miss out on Jaden Davis, but don't be mad because in 2024, Dante Moore will transfer to Michigan and start <laughs> Because um, someone at UCLA, like you say, that will recruit a quarterback in the next class, and he's like, "That's it, I'm out, I'm out, I can't." And Michigan will be like, "All we have is Davis Warren, <laughs> and Jack Tuttle, and Jack Tuttle." <laughs> I mean, look, Jack Tuttle was a four star, by the way. Everybody, go back and look at his recruiting, but. I don't know. I mean, I, there's a lot of like now worry that, oh my God, NIL is not going to happen for Jaden Davis. I actually think we're going to get him, but my joke is that don't worry. That's the hottest take ever that we're going to have. We'll have Dante Moore. Don't worry. Randy, give me your hottest take. I he just gave it. Randy. <laughs> Wait, Jason, give me your hottest take. <laughs> the best thing that's happened in the playoffs to Michigan is that Ohio State got into the playoff because that means more years of Ryan <laughs> is that is that the case? Because if he loses against Georgia, he's going to be coaching for his job in Ann Arbor. Well, that's true. But I do think that the fact that they got – it's very hard to fire a guy who's in the playoff right now. Like, 
It, that is the goal. The fourteen playoff is to make it into the playoff, and everyone knows that Georgia is like again a powerhouse. So if they lo- lose a close game, I don't think that he's his seat is as hot as people think it is. I mean, it's they until have he loses next year. Until he loses next year, is it worse so for Ryan Day if he loses to Georgia or if he beats Georgia and then loses by twenty two or more to Michigan again? It's Jeez. like we're on the same page, Seth. That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> does he no, does he get out of the stadium alive? Is the question. Does he I, I get think out it's, of SoFi? I think it's way better for him to lose to Georgia in a close game because you can easily be like, Well, that's the number one team in the country yeah. and blah blah blah. But like if he loses to Michigan, even by one point, forget twenty two, forget twenty three, forget twenty if he loses by one point to Michigan twice in the same season, you're right, Dave. Yeah, I don't know if he makes it out of there. And well, there's no reason for him to go home because his house will be burned to the ground. That's correct. correct. I would. It would just be amazing if they fired Ryan Day because he's like what, forty six and eight at that point, forty six and six, something yeah. like that, and yeah. like thirty something and two in the Big Ten. Yeah, <laughs> he just right. lost the two that he couldn't lose. I mean, if if so, okay. If Harbaugh beats, uh, let's just play this out, okay? Let's say Ohio State wins, Michigan wins, Michigan beats Ohio State, and the seat is just blazing hot. But they keep Ryan Day, and he comes back next year, and Harbaugh beats him again, undefeated Does, going into that undefeated, game. Undefeated, he undefeated going into that game beats him. So Harbaugh's four zero against Ryan Day, and. Harbaugh then, in total Urban Meyer fashion, opens up a restaurant in in Ann Arbor called Born on Third Burgers. (laughs) (laughs) How great would that be just to troll Ryan Day? I want it. I want it. Well, that's 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 another hot take from from Randy. There, I asked for two, I got two. David, give me your hottest take. If Michigan wins. Oh man, am I gonna be rooting for Ohio State? <laughs> yeah. Are you? Yes, you oh, are. Oh I don't I I couldn't possibly do that. I feel like it's sort of like I, I, I won't be, but you know how like when you watch a game and you don't really have a vested interest, but as the longer the game goes, you have a tendency to just get pulled to one side or the other because of any number of reasons. And I feel like I'm gonna be like, well, you know. You know, Georgia, okay, whatever. And then I'm going to be like, Ohio State wins. And then, I don't know. It's going to be hard. So is it better for Michigan if, let's say, Ohio State loses? Because then you beat them this year, you beat them last year, that's the narrative. They can't beat you. So now they can't even beat you again. If you lose to Georgia, I think everybody will be like, well, they have the number one team, and they're great, and they have better athletes. That's okay, but F that, because I want to win a national title. I, I, and I if, bet and, you a lot of Ohio face, State fans didn't want to actually get in the playoffs. They're like, oh, God, going to go to the Rose Bowl. And... <laughs> Just... I mean, I yeah, because like... they haven't been there enough. Yeah. I feel like Michigan has a better chance to beat Ohio State because Georgia's a better team. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like the gap there is not big enough to make me want to play Ohio State again, Ohio State again and have the chance of giving back the current situation with an Ohio State national championship. Yeah. Yep. So yep. I'm Georgia all the way. I, I kind of am too for for those reasons of also 
let's say Michigan beats Georgia. Let's just say Stetson Bennett does not have his best game. Let's say Michigan beats Georgia. Then the narrative is they said we couldn't do it. We rolled through the states. We rolled through. We beat the team. We slayed the dragon that beat us and embarrassed us last year. The Big Ten is bad. I mean, there's so many more stories. I think that's even bigger than, yeah, we just beat Ohio State again. Alex, give me your hottest take. The hero of this year's college football season was Hugh Freeze. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this? Let's hear it. New Mexico State yesterday, they were in their second bowl game appearance since the Eisenhower administration, and they won. UConn did not uh, win their bowl game, but they made it and were one of the great turnaround stories of college football. What do those two teams have in common? Both got to six and six because they beat Liberty in the month of November when Hugh <laughs> Freeze is mailing it in. So he gave us two of the most unlikely turnaround stories in college football. Got both New Mexico State and UConn into a bowl game. Thank you for your service, Hugh. I mean, and I heard that Jerry Falwell Jr. just sat in the corner and watched those losses with glee. Stop it. Come on. <laughs> so you're saying Michigan State likes should to watch. Liberty instead of Washington this year. He likes to watch. Uh, all right. Here we go. Michigan's going back to the playoff next year. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, about I, a, a hot take, Brian? Yeah. That's, you, I'm saying, like, that's that's a, predicting any team that's not Alabama or Georgia to the playoff for a consecutive year. That's that's spicy. I'm get, What are the odds I'm getting for Vegas on that? Plus 500 probably? Well, I think so, that qualifies. Brian, think about this. If they do find a way to get back next year, then the next year it expands to 12 teams. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. I think so. So then they have a very good chance of making it back in perpetuity, perhaps, if they continue to if they continue to recruit, even if they have a slightly down year. It depends on the quarterback situation. But if you can get there this year, and obviously you're here this year, next year also, you have a chance to make a run of being a perennial playoff team. But like they plugged almost all the possible holes they're going to have on next year's team through the portal. They added a tight end back. They added a linebacker. They added a couple offensive linemen who I think are starter quality. Mm -hmm. And then you got Edwards. You might have Corum. Might have Corum. Bat they got a backup QB if anything, if any there's an injury uh, or anything like that. We're playing Jack Tuttle. This predict this prediction's out the window. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought that was yeah, Davis Warren love, man. I love Davis Warren. Yeah. I love yeah. Davis yeah. Those, that means those, that uh, means Davis Warren is injured. <laughs> those defensive tackles are probably going to be even better next year because you get a couple oh, yeah. guys who have huge upside back. Probably going to patch a hole at defensive end with that uh, with uh, Jalea Stewart, and then you just need a quarterback. You need one cornerback. I mean, the question. Well, what if DJ <clears throat> Turner and Jamon Green or one of those guys comes back? Yeah, and then like, and then you're you're set pretty much. I think you're set. And someone was saying that it's not. I was hearing, you know, I'm not hearing the most inside information, but it sounds like there's some chatter that one or both of those guys might come back. And if they do, then you're fine. Did you yeah. look at the schedule too? Because they got three cream puffs in the non-con. They go to yep. Minnesota and Nebraska in early on, and then mm -hmm. their next road games are like, well, they got to go to state, right? They got to go to state, and then they go to Maryland and Penn State. Mm -hmm. Boy, that state. Penn State, you know, they're they're going to lose Clifford, and I mean, Alex and I debated how good Allard is, and you know, we don't really know, but you know, maybe Tua Tua Leah. Pops, but like we've been saying that for a couple of years. I mean, I, you know, I was like, are you scared of going to Maryland next year? And in the end, it's kind of like, 
not really. Are you scared of going to Nebraska? Maybe in a couple of years, but probably not next year. Minnesota, I mean, you start looking down the line, you're like, uh, we can even lose one of these games, beat Ohio State, and you're in good shape. Yep, just got to beat the Ohio State. That's the that's the. Well, I mean, that's what the whole thing is, right? You you yeah. win that game, and all of a sudden your doors are open. And good job but, using the article in front of their name, there, Brian. Way to go! <laughs> <laughs> all right, if you can't get enough scars, hit up their podcast view from the cheap seats. Check out the Nosebleeds, which is on UFC Fight Pass, and they are touring again. So if they come to your town, How go see them. How many words are you gonna say? <laughs> Keep it up. Words. All right. All right. So we have to address the uh, basketball team, which had its third opportunity to get a marquee non-conference win, and for the third straight game, came up just a little bit short. Michigan seventy-six, North Carolina eighty. They have now lost to North Carolina, Kentucky, and Virginia by a total of ten points. So that's fun. <laughs> And the storyline of this game was essentially Hunter Dickinson getting stuffed in a locker by Armando Bacon, who went 11 of 15 from the floor. Hunter Dickinson just 3 of 9. And on a day when Michigan's other two big names really stepped up, Kobe Bufkin, 22 points on 13 shooting possessions. Jet Howard, 17 points on 16 shooting possessions. I mean, we even saw Doug McDaniel do a couple of things, not efficiently, but he did a couple of things. <laughs> Joy Baker comes off the bench, hits some threes. All they really needed to win this game was a slightly lop- less lopsided performance at center, and they just couldn't get it. I mean, that was the story yeah. the last time we played at UNC too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if UNC just has Hunter Dickinson's number, but it's not like they were doubling the post much. He just – he was – really passive. He got in foul trouble fouls out in 27 minutes in this game. Misses a big stretch of the first half. And at w- one point I was like, ah, but you're fouling out your best player already. And then I was like, is he today? Mm-hmm. So this, I mean, Michigan looked okay early and they had a few leads and the game, I thought the game really changed when they got those, what was it like, there's a massive technicals. Watch there's like four tech. technicals. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I said there's four. I, there I never four, figured out yeah. the fourth one and was on. Dickinson picks up a foul on that play, and then all of a right. sudden he's got two. So he goes from zero to two fouls in second. Which is a which is a completely garbage piece of refereeing. Like, you're changing the game to, like, make a statement about how you guys shouldn't be mean to each other. <laughs> was that even re- was that even really technical worthy? I mean, the guy kind of like he kind of like Dickinson sort of kicks his leg, and then the guy like grabs his knee, and they kind of like tussle a little bit. I don't. Know. I mean, I, I mean, you're completely changing the game with calls that don't even result in free throws. It, it's it's asinine to me, but it's not like I expect better really from Paul Sills. <laughs> now you sound like Craig. He's the guy who kicked Beeline out of a game against Penn State. He ejected John Beeline from a basketball game. I, I, was, still mad about, I was still mad at Hunter for that. Like, why, why do you even need – you don't need to do that. You don't need to, like – I don't but, know. It's his DNA. That's what he does. Dickinson. I mean, I guess sort of the good news from the larger viewpoint is that Bufkin's three-point shooting is now up to acceptable levels. You know, that sort of fear – that you might have had that he was just never going to shoot acceptably from three, despite having a beautiful stroke, unfounded. Um, and now it's just uh, <laughs> you got to win a lot of games in the so, Big Ten to make the tourney. 
the one issue that I kind of was coming back to, and there are reasons why this happens. I understand that. But if you look at Michigan starters, like their shot attempts in that game, and they had like Williams had nine, Dickinson nine, Jet had 12, McDaniel and Buffkin each had 10. Don't you kind of say, hey, I wouldn't mind, you know, in, especially in that game, maybe Buffkin taking a few more shots, maybe Jet getting a few more shots. I, normally you're like, I want Hunter to take more shots because one, he's usually six feet from the basket and two, he's usually their most efficient player. That wasn't really the case against North Carolina. But I mean, are you wanting Doug and T-Will to take as many shots as everyone else, especially when guys like Jet and Buffkin are making things? Well, most of T-Will's shots were wide open threes. Hmm. Like, he took... He took six threes in this game, and every single one of them was a, a shot he has to take. Okay. Every every single one of them, you can't pass that shot up. And then he's he's over three from two. I don't know. I mean, the thing that really bothered me about Dickinson is he gets his first opportunity to go up against Baycott, and he takes an eighteen foot jumper. He's not even making the guy work. Might like, have been a pass, Brian. I don't think that hit anything. <laughs> and I, it's just like you know, Baycott got four fouls in this game. He plays thirty two minutes. Game gets a lot different if you're able to get a foul on him early, and to just kind of throw up a no effort jumper. I was just like, "What are we doing here?" And that just kind of felt like his whole vibe for this game. And it was unfortunate too because that was the game plan. Like, in the if you get Baycott out, they don't have another center. They put Pete Nance on you, and you know we saw exactly how that went because the second Pete Nance ended up on him, he just backed him down and put it in. And the second time they doubled down on him and he passed it out and uh you know Howard cans a three. So like that was the game plan right there. It was just shove around Baycott and then it just fell apart because Hunter Dickinson wasn't fighting him anymore. Well, I mean, I think we kinda have to address the elephant in the room, and that's once you stop looking at, you know, cupcake games, Hunter Dickinson's performance has gone through the floor. So in Michigan's five cup uh, Ken Palm top 100 games, he's shooting 49% from two. Last year, he was shooting 58%. You know, it's his defensive rebounding has gone down. He's not getting to the line as much. It, it's uh, only five games, but it, it's a pretty disappointing situation when your junior star has what looks like a pretty big regression. The thing I kind of wonder a little bit sometimes is like, you know, Michigan played Lipscomb and they played Ohio and they played those guys like mostly dead even and sometimes trailing in a lot of in those situations. And like I remember in the Lipscomb game, like there just was they give up buckets because there's no sense of urgency or, you know, there's no extra hustle on defense and stuff. And you're like, where are you going? And then the last five minutes, they get back to even and all of a sudden you see the defense and it's like, well, it's not because they can't play it. And sometimes I wonder about that with Dickinson. And I wonder if that bleeds over to the rest of the team is, you know, they've had some slow starts too. And like, you just wonder, is there a little bit of motivational issues? Is there, you know, I don't know, but it, it sometimes it almost seems psychological because you try to figure out what's happened on defense sometimes. And I don't think it's because they can't, I mean, Dickinson maybe, but I don't think it's because Michigan doesn't have any athletes. No, it's it's communication issues. I watched a video today of uh, <laughs> on Jet Howard's NBA draft prospects, and he was like, "Well, he's a pretty good defender. Just you know, needs to have some more awareness." And then there's like eight clips of Jet Howard getting backdoored, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I guess if I'm an NBA evaluator, I'm just gonna like ignore that." 
because that doesn't really matter. The guy will figure it out. But from a perspective of like, this is what Michigan's basketball team is right now. That's a huge problem. And I do think he's getting better. I do think the defense is, is getting um, less porous, but I think I've made this point before it's, you know, you had a year one last year and that wasn't a very good team. And except for Kobe Bufkin, you're not even getting any benefits from it because the two guys you brought in who were the top guys in the class are now in the NBA. And that's, and then you don't get the benefit of having Frankie around. So I don't know how much Frankie changes this team, but Arizona state went from 97 and they're currently 55th in Kempom. So it seems like he's been this year. Well, he's, his efficiency is uh, pretty horrendous, but uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if he was uh, <laughs> not in Bobby Hurley's offense. Do you think that any, I mean, is there any lineup change that they can make? Like, I mean, Terrence Williams is supposed to be kind of like the, you know, the lunch pail guy out there and he's a little bit limited athletically from a defense standpoint and his offense has been terrible. Like, Maybe try Joey Baker longer. I try Jace Howard for longer stretches. I, is there something you can do there? Like at the four, though. Uh, I mean, or move Jet to the four and try. I, I guess you don't, you're running out of guards already. So one this is issue, a roster problem more than anything. I think. Yeah. yeah. One issue with moving Jet to the four is that his defensive rebound rate is six point eight. <laughs> <laughs> is that low? <laughs> That's low. Okay. <clears throat> that is. Uh, he gets six point eight of the available rebounds, eight six point eight percent of the available rebounds when he's on the floor. So that's not low. That is impossibly low. That is like a third of Derek Walton. Uh, I mean, Cheddar. Like, what, what do you what do you I, have I in this roster any, that you can go? I haven't to? seen anything from Cheddar that really yeah. makes me think that he's going to be a contributor this year. I don't. I mean, I just think you got to play through it. I mean, I mean, Dick and they were a decent game from Dickinson away from you know probably winning that UNC game it, yeah. it it seems like there's a lot of stuff that just kind of whack-a-mole goes wrong and if it's not one thing it's another and you know they need a complete team effort in to to win a lot of these games I mean they've been close in some of them but you know and they've probably been in way too many close games because when you start looking down the schedule at some teams they probably should have beaten you know more but for one reason or another, they don't. And I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an odd team. And, and the injury to Llewellyn couldn't have been a whole lot worse because they just don't, they didn't have any guards to start with. And now they have like no guards. Yeah. Not great. I mean, at least hopefully you can get this core of the team back next year, except for Baker and actually have a year two instead of just starting over again. But that's kind of college basketball a little bit, right? I mean, you start I mean, it's kind of and... it's college basketball a little bit, but I'm just super frustrated with like, you know, living through the growing pains of a couple of five star freshmen, and then you know, like they're just gone to like the second round of the draft. It's just, so I now, get, I get you're it. Connecting with the Kentucky fans. Well, Kentucky fans at least get like guys who perform and then leave. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, second half of the season too, like they get. If you if you poke a Kentucky fan early in the year, they're miserable because like those guys are still figuring it out. Like Jet Howard is not a strange freshman. Like they come in with a lot of ability and take some while to figure out defense and figure out exactly what their role and the, what their game is. I mean, one of the encouraging things about this game is they put Leaky Black on Howard just like we thought they would. 
that guy is six eight. He's you know he's supposed to be a defender, and Howard still was able to shoot over that guy when he needed to. So yeah, I mean maybe one thing that you're looking at doing is making Hunter Dickinson maybe a little bit more of a peripheral player, not peripheral player, but you know he's getting up his usage is twenty eight percent, and Jet Howard's at twenty two. Kobe Bufkin's at twenty. Like maybe those guys get closer together. I mean, one thing that I think you really do need to do is you need to get Doug McDaniel in a room and point to his shooting stats and be like, you are not a 22% usage player. You are a 15% usage player. (laughs) And he's a freshman who wants to do things, but he should be the fourth or fifth banana on the roster because he's got a 90-0 rating versus Jet Howard's 122 and Kobe Bufkin's 113. So de-emphasize the guys who aren't perfor- who aren't uh, scoring and go with your troika because you have three really good offensive players right now just need to emphasize them all right that's enough Thank you for listening to the MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher, along with Brian Cook, Alex Drain, and David Nasternak, where, thanks to the magic of editing, I pronounced everybody's name correctly. No!